This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. Recently, the credit monitoring company Equifax announced that it had been hacked and the information of about 143 million Americans may have been compromised. The problem is that this data includes social security numbers, birthdays, and much more. So what led to this service, seeing all of this data potentially land into the hands of hackers? We take a look at that with three of our best experts around. We are joined in studio by Wharton Assistant Professor of Legal Studies and Business Ethics, Peter Conti-Brown. On the phone with us, Eric Gordon, professor at the University of Michigan Business School, and also with us, Bill Black, associate professor of economics at the University of Missouri, Kansas City, and a former financial regulator. Peter, as always, great to have you in the studio. Thanks for coming in. Appreciate it. It's a pleasure. Eric, Bill, great to have you with us on the phone. Good to be back. Thank, Thank you both. What do you think this breach says about the issues surrounding cybersecurity right now, Peter? You know, cybersecurity is uh, is uh, just a paramount and fundamental uh, uh, problem, not just in in finance, but the world over. I mean, the uh, what we're when we talk about Russian interference with the election, right? We're talking about a multi-strategy uh, affront, which includes a heavy cybersecurity uh, issue. I mean, considering the fact that we've br- been brought uh, to nearly to the brink of war in circumstances with. North Korea, uh, diplomatic tussles with China. I mean, cybersecurity is, in some sense, it's the defining issue of security in uh, uh, in kind of a post nine eleven post financial crisis world. So, uh, you know, these kinds of breaches are 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 systemic. They're problematic. But what makes Equifax so different is both its size, uh, the quality of the data, and then the the fundamental ethical problems where where the it's been somewhat misreported that Equifax lost the uh, the information of some of its customers. In fact, many of the people, most of the people whose uh, data has been compromised were not even Equifax customers, right? Right. right. They were the product that Equifax was selling. Uh, and uh, uh, that, I think, that aspect of it also makes this uh, deeply unsettling. Bill Black? Uh, yeah, and on top of that, it's as if uh, Equifax senior management wanted to create a business school case study of how to do everything possible wrong when you do have such a breach. So are you going to have that on your agenda soon at uh, Missouri-Kansas City, Bill? Uh, I'll leave the business school <laughs> okay. case studies to others, okay. but with my criminologist hat, uh, yeah. uh, yes, this is an absolute case study in doing virtually everything wrong. Eric? Yeah, you know, to expand a little bit on what Peter said uh, and to agree with it, um, I, I talk to uh, directors, boards of directors. The number one risk perceived by boards today is cybersecurity risk. They have other concerns. They're worried about activist investors coming after them. They're worried about where there's going to be growth. But the number one risk, the downside risk that virtually every board talks about at virtually every meeting is cybersecurity. Bill, let me ask you, with your background, uh, are we at a point now when you're talking about something like this, that uh, these companies, the credit reporting companies, uh, they are not, from from my understanding, under kind of the same realm as the big banks right now? Should they be? 
they're under no effective system of regulation, either of their security or of what happens to people. And, um, you know, it was quite uh, correctly emphasized. Overwhelmingly, these were not customers. Indeed, one of the small obscene uh, things that Equifax Management did was to boast that their core systems had not been breached. One hundred and forty three million people were exposed without getting to their core systems. So with my econ hat, I would uh, stress uh, we believe in uh, what we call revealed preferences. Uh, So, yes, in surveys, people talk a lot about how uh, they're really worried about cybersecurity. But in fact, they don't take uh, the steps we know would work and they don't because they're costly. So they prate about it a lot, but uh, you can see from these kinds of breaches how little uh, has actually been done. Remember, this was not the first huge breach at Equifax. They had had two other very large breaches uh, within two years of this event. So they had plenty of warning, and they simply didn't act. And by the way, they're also not telling the world what really caused, led to the breach, so that we can deal with it uh, at other places that might have similar vulnerabilities. Peter? So there's so many aspects of this that are um, are, are so unsettling um, uh, that are worth amplification. I mean, first is the business model of Equifax and the other credit ratings, uh, reporting agencies, uh, uh, and, and understanding kind of their historical context. I mean, these were private intelligence uh, uh, organizations that were used by businesses to assess the credibility of, uh, of customers, yeah. right? Their uh, potential customers. So that's the, this, this introduction of uh, the credit bureaus into this uh, interaction uh, was not something that customers ever sought, at least initially, but something that businesses did. Now, there's a good economic reason for this, right? If you can engage in more uh, uh, in, in, in finer gradations in the way that you're pricing your products according to the, uh, the credibility uh, and, and security of the customer's offer, then that makes it so you can compete in different spaces. I mean, right. in some sense, this is the motivation behind Geico, or at least initially, as an insurance company for government employees uh, because they were going to be uh, less of an actuarial risk than others. And so the credit bureaus were designed to do this. But the reason I emphasize this is that it was never about an economic relationship um, between the uh, individual whose information here is guarded and the bureaus, uh, or, or almost almost never. Uh, and that makes it hard. So when Target added its huge breach, right? Yeah. You can say, well, yeah. then I don't want to have anything to do with Target. I'm going to go to Amazon or Walmart. Or right. T-Mobile has a breach. You think, okay, I'm going to switch. Now, there's enough of these instances where it makes it harder to find <laughs> a, a, someone who's uh, an institution that's uh, totally pure. But that's what's so frustrating there's about no, the Equifax breach. There's it, no choice here. You have no choice. Yeah. You, your information is gathered uh, uh, here uh, whether you like it or you don't. Uh, and that's why I think that, that emphasis and why that's so unsettling uh, is, is so important. And this has been misreported. I mean, the yeah. New York Times headline was, you know, Equifax loses the, or has well, you know, exposed the information of 143 million customers. That's simply false. Yeah. That's not the relationship that we have with credit bureaus. And that makes it so that the, the need, in my view, of having a better regulatory uh, structure to oversee them 
uh, is so important because uh, we're all, we, again, we're just the product here. We can't opt in or opt out. Yeah, Eric, I mean, I guess if we are very concerned about the, the banks and what they can do and the information and the, and the control that they have, why wouldn't be, we be the same way regarding the credit bureaus? Yeah, there's really no reason. Although I, I'm not crazy about the banking regulation as a model for anything because it's, it's, <laughs> it tends to be pretty lousy regulation. Right. But but I you know I, I think what Peter's been talking about is really important, uh, and we'll see that when we get to what can the people who've been hurt do, because the structure of the law is such that it is not easy for people who are not in some kind of close connection. You know, the legal term is privity, but I just think close connection, some kind of like being a customer. People who are not customers, it's not easy for them under the present structure of law to recover. Now, there have been some settlements, uh, been some very large settlements with customers, although the bigger money has gone to credit card issuers um, because they have to issue new credit cards. Less money has gone to actual people like you and me who've been hurt at that level, and, and it's in part because of the structure of the law. And I, I think uh, in addition to regulation, which seems to sort of trail, trail the problem, yeah. I, I, you know, a, a structure of law that actually makes it easier for people who clearly have been hurt but have no legal relationship to people like Equifax to get into court and win. Well, and I think that brings up a, an interesting point, Peter, is the fact that, and you alluded to it, is that, you know, we're at a time right now where, as uh, as Eric mentioned, government regulation does tend to trail the incident. And we now, in this world, in this digital society, we need to be try to be ahead of the ball more so than ever before. Yeah, this is what makes cybersecurity um, such a vexing problem. This isn't a, a, a box that simply can be checked. All right, all right, we did the thing. Now our, our networks are secure. We're good. Yeah. We're good. Um, because this isn't just a question of, of the cat and mouse game between regulators and industry. This is a cat and mouse game between hackers and industry itself. Right? And this is a place where, uh, where uh, cybersecurity and getting a regulatory framework uh, that uh, with government participation is something that uh, many businesses and industry are are desperate for because in, in some cases they're not sim- they're simply not uh, able to stay ahead of things as well as as uh, as the government can do. But again, the government itself obviously there's been there was a huge breach at uh, the Office of Management and Budget of uh, of taxpayer information. Uh, there have been other breaches uh, before uh, in the United States. But our uh, uh, this is why this is something that will continue. Uh, to be uh, a frontier. And the more we do online, uh, the greater the value of those targets will be across the, the board. Bill, with the, with the prior hacks that Equifax had been involved with, uh, what kind of penalty was there for them if, the, if there could be a penalty imposed to begin with? Uh, there were no meaningful uh, penalties, and uh, to uh, build on um, what your other guests have been saying, Equifax's strategy after discovering the breach, which, by the way, the breach appears to have gone on for two and a half months uh, before they even discovered it, right. and of course, even then, they didn't make it uh, public, and then what probably was insider trading occurred, and there was very suspicious trading in options uh, as well. But on top of that, then their strategy at the highest level uh, uh, was to make us customers. Mm -hmm. 
so that they could rip us off. Yeah. <laughs> Through absolutely outrageous. They cause the problem, and then they quote-unquote, offer us free protection for a year. But it turns out to do that, this has gone through many iterations and has changed uh, in response to some of the criticism. But originally, you had to give up your right to sue. And on top of that, they created a provision that you would automatically, if you didn't drop the protection, um, lose it. Uh, I'm sorry, you would uh, pay for it forever. You would be signing up (laughs) in essence in perpetuity. You could get out, they later clarified, but only if you specifically opted out and followed procedures. So they made it into a money-making thing that they had breached our security where we weren't customers before. They were going to make us customers, and they were going to aim at us. I mean, again, it's comic book level of um, evil is if somebody was trying to do um, a muckraking propaganda against the evils of capitalism, (laughs) except the authors were Equifax senior management. And by the way, the guy who did the biggest suspicious trading is the CFO who they claim was not informed of the breach. Now, at what organization is the CFO not informed of the second largest security breach in the history of the world? And by the way, he has the perfect name. His name as CFO is Gamble. Wow, wow. It does start start to feel like a bad bad cartoon version of a scandal. I agree with Bill. Uh, and, And, I mean, it's just worth drilling down a little. On, on on some of the even today unexplained and perhaps inexplicable decisions. So number one, how do you maintain a uh, a structure of databases that has hundreds of millions of dollars of the, or hundreds of millions of instances of the most sensitive information that people carry, and not know that it's been breached for two and a half months? Yeah. You yeah. might say, well, just the hackers are too sophisticated for that, but that's not true. Uh, half of, hackers were certainly sophisticated. It's that they were playing with uh, a vulnerability yeah. that had been, as Bill said, previously exposed and not addressed, and then not monitored. I mean, that's part of it, right? So you you might say, okay, well, it's not worth the cost to us to to uh, make our, uh, our our data security uh, as state-of-the-art as, as it might be, but we at least will monitor. Indeed, there's something of a parallel here. You might say, okay, well... I'm going to do this monitoring myself of my own uh, data, but I'm not going to do things that will be proactive. But they weren't even doing that monitoring. Yeah. Why then they were silent about it for the six weeks after uh, it was discovered and closed is also uh, inexplicable. And the last thing I would say is not only have they um, uh, uh, been tra- seeking to grow their customer base on, uh, on the back of this, they were charging people. I'm glad to report that at least as of yesterday, they've stopped doing this. They were charging people to, who were engaging in credit freezes, which is something our listeners right. should seriously entertain doing with all of the credit bureaus. They were charging them, uh, this varies by state, uh, when they didn't have to do this, right? Uh, Equifax has since stopped, uh, stopped doing that. But, but the entire orientation to the scandal shows to me, uh, and the, the state of their, of their systems in, uh, generally, is how uh, unseriously they have been taking these issues. And now that they must take them seriously because of the uh, appropriate panic from 
uh, from everyone else. It's that it's almost as if they don't know how to do that. Well, the other interesting piece to this, Eric, as uh, Bill alluded to, is the fact that you have executives who sold their stock or at least portions of their stock a couple of days after the breach occurred. And obviously the question of whether or not they knew at that time is going to be one that's going to be brought up. And seemingly this is already drawing the attention of people on Capitol Hill. Yeah, so, you know, we want to be cautious until we know all of the facts, because it's possible that they sold the stock on, you know, some kind of regular plan right. and well, often in place. Not. No, and we also, know that. We I, know that that's not true. We, I also want to caution about overgeneralizing um, uh, based on the facts that we know. So I, I, actually, um, I actually have a little bit of technical, not enough, but a little bit of technical uh, background in cybersecurity. And, and here's what we want to be careful about overgeneralizing. Somebody's hacked, and they're hacked again. Um, they may or may not have been hacked uh, via the same vulnerability, because any system has some unknown number, X, of vulnerabilities, right. which are, for the most part, I won't say for the most part, many of them are unknowable until they're hacked, because if you knew about them, you probably would have done something about it, because that's a lot cheaper than defending one of, defending one of these cases. So uh, forget Equifax for a moment, uh, but l let's, let's be careful about assuming that there was some kind of uh, complete disregard of what was going on because the company is uh, hacked twice. Um, you know, Peter referred to this cat and mouse game on the technology side, and it's serious. It's, it's a game that changes globally minute, minute by minute. So uh, in an individual case, uh, and this is something that the law is going to wrestle with, I think he, the law is going to have to decide what standards should companies be held to. Um, be totally unhackable, be strictly liable if you're hacked. If that happens, then you're basically in an insurance business because nobody in cybersecurity believes that there is an unhackable system. Um, should they be required to show that they have, they are up to date, the state of the art as is appropriate to their business? Should that be the standard that we hold companies to? Uh, but, it, but if we decide that the, the uh, standard of liability is you're hacked, you're liable, that could work. Um, we do have strict liability in other areas, uh, but it won't stop the hacking because the hacking is sometimes the result of companies not spending enough time, money, and attention, and sometimes it's just being outsmarted because there's always somebody smarter than you. Right. Bill? Well, again, we are put into this position of how to generalize precisely because they have not disclosed how they were hacked and whether it is, in fact, uh, similar to the two prior ways, not one, that they were successfully hacked in something like 18 months before this, all three of these being major. I mean, this third one, of course, being off the charts. So you, you can, they can hardly defend on the basis that you don't know exactly how we screwed up because we're not willing to alert people as to how we were screwed up, even though the bad guys already know, right? And the, yeah. the chatter will be all over the dark web on how it was done. They won't tell the public. Well, so people are going to have to make assumptions in those circumstances uh, or you have to have investigations. And 
we're simply also not having effective investigations. Uh, and uh, as someone who actually has been a successful regulator, I would tell you uh, regulation can be very effective, but you have to have people in charge who believe in their mission. And right now, all of the senior appointees hate regulation and are there to destroy its effectiveness. Peter? So I, I think one of the reasons why I'd be less uh, willing... Well, let me put it this way. I think that, that Eric's points are, are very well taken, that you can uh, you, you can add more heat than light by, uh, by, by if we're rushing to conclusions that uh, evidence doesn't support. But here's why my, my Bayesian priors are adjusted... Uh, pretty dramatically toward the conclusion that uh, Equifax has uh, has culpably mishandled this this scandal. In addition to some of the things that uh, that Bill had mentioned, uh, so the first is the fact that they go online with a website. Now, again, keep in mind that this is with, with uh, several weeks to prepare. Uh, well, after they've known of the breach, patched right. it, and are, are thinking about how they would roll out. But apparently didn't tell the CFO. Uh, but apparently <laughs> didn't tell the CFO. So they roll this out, and they have created a new website that allows you to determine whether or not you were one of these uh, affected parties. And if you wrote Daffy Duck as your name, and the Social Security last uh, digits, your Social Security number, one, two, three, four, five, six, I think it was six digits, it would return a message that says you may have been compromised. Right. So they did not. They did nothing. It was it, this was a, a, just a Potemkin village of uh, of uh, of assurity. Now that might be that everybody was uh, is a is a victim here, but they simply weren't ready, uh, and and uh, I think that's deeply problematic. The other aspect of it is the other two credit bureaus. When you do a credit freeze, allow you to pick a pin, and the pin will be right. uh, ranging from six to ten ten uh, numbers. Equifax didn't, and until yesterday, simply allowed your PIN to be a timestamp at the time that you did it, uh, year, month, day, uh, hour, and minute. And again, uh, it's that's you'd have to know when somebody did something in order to discern their PIN, but that mean, it just means that they're sequential, right? Yep. Um, which is significantly more rudimentary than uh, than uh, the other two systems. So this makes me think that yes, even compared to its uh, its uh, co. Uh, oligopolists in this space are are behind the times in at least this way, and that the rollout itself here uh, hasn't uh, reassured anyone that we have any kind of sense of the extent of this uh, and, and the way that uh, Equifax is handling it. So my priors, I would be interested if Eric disagrees with this, but at this point, I don't I don't feel like the evidence at hand leaves us to be neutral about uh, about Equifax, I think, should point us toward the idea that they, are, in fact, are are not simply victims of an aggressive hack, but have uh, uh, have uh, been uh, uh, have participated in not maintaining their systems sufficient to combat it. Eric, let me. I'll have you answer that, but also I want you to answer as well. On top of that, if if you are part of the the operations at Experian or TransUnion right now, what what are you doing, or what have you done in the last few weeks to to try and uh, you know keep your name out of the headlines as well? Okay, so yeah, those are two questions, and they're both good. I, I actually um, agree with Peter, and uh, and I take it in in this sense: if you if you separate into the actual hack and the loss of information, and how they handled it, um, I don't, I, I I can't imagine any excuse for how they have handled it, and I think that that's important. That the distinction is important in terms of liability of certain people directors, the board of directors, 
board of directors is very unlikely to be liable for uh, the fact that somebody was hacked, unless they just find that the board was paying no attention, which from my experience with boards is extremely unlikely. But it's clear that Equifax had no risk management response program in place. And given the, the, the prior hacks that Bill pointed out, given the fact that every company that stores large amounts of sensitive data expects to be hacked, not having in place, ready to go on 10 minutes notice a risk management response program, that seems to be a, a huge problem, and that's the kind of failure that can actually put the directors in the line of liability. So if you're Experian or, or any other big credit rating agency or anybody who has lots of data like this, I think, one, you, you say, look, I, I, we, can't, we can't prevent being hacked. Can we show that we're doing everything that's reasonable to lower the probability of that? But the thing that we do have within our control is how we will respond. And do we have what's absolutely within our control in ship shape, or do we look like Equifax? Well, it also brings up a question, Bill, that, that we've talked about on this show before, and I'd love to get all, all of your opinions on it, is the fact that you know, this hack happened late July. And I've talked with a variety of people that are in the cybersecurity world. I have family members that were in the cybersecurity world, and, and I've, I've brought this up to them. And it is the concern of a lot of consumers of the fact that while this happened late July, we're not hearing about it until early September. And that's that you know five to six week window. A lot of people are, are on both sides of this, of whether or not that information should be re released in a more timely manner so that consumers can know that. A lot of people on the cyber side would say, well, we need that period of time to truly understand what happened and so that we can try and start the process of not allowing that happen again. I put that to you. Which, which side is probably right on this, or is it both? Well, uh, so there are two time gaps. Uh, the intrusion began, according to public reports, in mid-May yeah. and was not discovered until uh, late in July uh, and then not made public, as you said, and in between, um, there's certainly a large number of suspicious transactions, not just the three executives, but the trading in options yeah. just spikes enormously in that period. But with my criminologist, white-collar criminologist hat on, I would warn this hack isn't going to be the one that causes devastating damage to the non-customers we've been talking about. It's when the dark side part of the web really gets its act in gear, where it can make a million transactions in the first hour and a half after this kind of breach. Um, that's when you know you're going to get huge numbers of people that really will suffer losses directly. Now we have this feeling of being violated. We have this feeling of being vulnerable, and uh, if we're sensible, we should have a feeling of being helpless. But you know, most of us think we know more than we do about tech, so we have this false confidence. Once they get really good about taking the data and moving it quickly into the the phase of actually making purchases, 
using our identity, uh, it, we're going to be in a enormous world of hurt. So as a society, we need to start working now uh, to, because we are so far behind this curve. Eric? Dan, uh, on the second delay, they say they discovered it July 29th. They made it public last Thursday, September 7th. That's five or six weeks. On that delay, they're dead. Here's why. Most states, uh, last count I had was 47, actually have data breach notification laws. For example, California's law requires notice in the most, I'm quoting, in the most expedient time possible. So I, I think with respect to that last five or six week delay, I, I think Equifax is just wrong, but, but at law, they're dead. Okay. Peter, anything you like that in? Hi, I'm eager for us to get to the bottom of this. Equifax is not used to being at the forefront of people's attention. It's something that just comes up when you're trying to get a credit card or or apply for a loan. Um, and and here it is. Uh, it has not done well in the spotlight. Yeah. Um, we need to know so much more than we have. That's the first regulatory step: is informational transparency. After that, I'd be eager to see as a as a as a citizen, as a victim potentially of Equifax. Uh, and as an academic, I'm eager to see something put in place so we can get a better sense so that this private governance structure that people can't opt out of uh, can have some sort of uh, bearing both to the economic necessity of credit assessments um, but also uh, the demands that citizens rightly have for uh, uh, for data privacy. Thank you all for joining us today. Eric, Bill, thank you for your time on the phone. All the best to you today. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you, Peter. Great seeing you again. Great Thank see you very much. And I have a feeling we'll be discussing this again at some point down the road. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.